Welcome to Crypto Sapiens, a show that hosts lively discussions with innovative Web3 builders to help you learn about decentralized money systems, including Ethereum, Bitcoin, and DeFi. The podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Crypto Sapiens is presented in partnership with Bankless DAO, a movement for pioneers seeking freedom from the limitations of the traditional financial system. Bankless DAO will help the world go bankless by creating user-friendly on-ramps for people to discover decentralized financial technologies through education, media, and culture. Before we get started, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode, OtterSpace, who are busy making Web3 less financialized. Their protocol and app lets communities build and issue badges to members to represent things like levels, roles, achievements, membership, and skills. Badges are earned, not bought. They are non-tradable coordination primitives for communities. You can use badges for governance and snapshot, token gating with guild, and you can build your own custom extensions with their composable tools. If you've been thinking about how to run non-financial governance, represent roles and permissions on chain, or recognize contributions via social recognition, check out OtterSpace at OtterSpace underscore XYZ on Twitter or at OtterSpace.XYZ. Welcome back to Crypto Sapiens. And today we are talking with Tony Herrera, founder of Paisano DAO and member of Neon DAO, Ready Player DAO, and Wagme United. Tony talks about his background as an immigrant activist, and how working in that field led him to discover Bitcoin and eventually Ethereum. He also shares his early interest in DAOs as an ICO investor and Aragon. Anyone that knows Tony knows that he has for a long time been onboarding new people to Web3, and that ENS domains have long played a big part in it. He often gives ENS domains as a way to make crypto more fun and accessible. Furthermore, he shares other tools he uses for onboarding. MetaMask, and Ethereum. While these probably are not what most people would think of first, he sees the importance of helping people understand how these work so that they have a good foundation from which to continue learning. Tony founded Paisano DAO to engage underrepresented communities, in particular women and people of color. He classifies it as an impact DAO. Paisano DAO often hosts workshops and other educational events, including two regular series on Twitter spaces, NFTs en Español and Frecuencia Paisana. It was important to Tony that the DAO would not grow dependent on him, so he stepped away early. Now, the DAO is in the hands of core contributors that continue to nurture the values and mission that were developed with Tony. He says, we must build DAOs whose mission and message resonate with its community. There is lots to unpack in this episode, so let's get started. Yeah, I'm a, I'm I'm a involved in, in a number of DAOs that are. I'm kind of a passive, passive, passively involved with the DAOs. Those DAOs, um, some of them I'll mention them by name: the Neon DAO, which is uh, a Metaverse DAO, everything related to the Metaverse, and then there's Ready Player DAO, which is really uh, a play to earn um, kind of turn anything in the in the space in the crypto space, NFT space that is related to uh, uh, watch to earn, pay to earn, learn to earn, um, uh, ready to pair DAOs in that. Um, there's a couple other DAOs, uh, Wagme United, which uh, famously bought uh, a soccer team, football team in, um, 
in uh, in Crawley, uh, Crawley Town in England, uh, and and a, f a few other ones, but um, those are the ones that come to mind right now. And they're kind of like DAOs. I, I like to mention when people ask me about them, I say they're, they're DAOs, and they are decentralized autonomous organizations, but they're really sort of more like uh, investment uh, arms where they invest in different uh, assets. And, and, and in the case of Wagon United, invested in, the, in, a, in a football team. Um, and then there's um, kind of like the DAO that I'm spending a lot of time with, which is uh, Paisano DAO. And uh, for those that are unfamiliar with the word, Paisano is basically just a term, uh, it's normally a term of endearment, which is kind of like a, a term of a countryman. I know that sometimes uh, people use it, Paisa. Uh, the Paisa term can be both a, a, a endearing term or it could be kind of like a, a way to slander somebody or you know, demean them. Uh, but uh, we like to uh, uh, think of paisano as a, as a as a as a uh, favorable term that uh, basically denotes that you're um, from a specific country. You know, you're a paisano whether you're from Guatemala, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Mexico. Uh, then you're my paisano. And uh, so, uh, as I was started exploring DAOs, um, I, I love the concept of DAOs, uh, a truly decentralized autonomous organization that would have sort of like where everybody's uh, kind of a, it, sort of like an organization that's leaderless, but at the same time, it, everybody's a leader and, and it kind of sort of organically grows as, as more people are interested in, in, in the DAO. Uh, and so when I thought of Paisano DAO, I started reaching out to community members in the space and like, hey, you know, they have this idea about this DAO. And I think those were actually some of the early conversations that you and I had, uh, it was around that, right? And around the... Uh, the aspect that the Web3 space, predominantly like the internet space, is still very much uh, um, a digital divide. There's, there's, there's obviously a, a disconnect between um, some of their minority communities and their access to some of the tools that we take for granted on the internet, especially Web3. And so um, I set out to, to create Pesada Dao with the, uh, the mission of, uh, of fostering and promoting uh, uh, inclusivity and diversity in the uh, in the Web three ecosystem. Right when we talk about Web three, um, we want to have some of those tools uh, that are blockchain tools and crypto tools, and now NFTs uh, be available to some of our Latino brothers and sisters. That you know, because I, I fundamentally believe in the technology long term, and you know, it's kind of kind of uh, hard right now with the bear market that we are in, where everybody's like worried about. The fact that they bought some NFTs and they're now long, they're no longer as valuable as they thought they were when they bought them, uh, you know, it could tend to create a uh, uh, people coming into the market but then leaving. But yeah, but uh, you know, I think that that gives you a little bit of a of a background as to you know um, why Paisano Dao was created and the intent behind Paisano Dao. Let's before again we get too far into the weeds of things as we do, um, just maybe rewind a little bit and just tell us you know how you discovered this space. Like, what were you looking for when you first heard of crypto? What were the conversations then? I know we kind of started talking about like uh, AOL and uh, <laughs> Instant Messenger, um, so we really kind of turned back the clock a lot. But like when you were looking at crypto and maybe some of the noise, what was that signal in that noise that to you was like, oh, you know what, that makes sense, and I want to learn about that, and I just want to start uh, maybe uh, exploring that community or ecosystem or projects. Sure. So for me. I think I can sort of credit my journey in crypto 
to a couple of things. One, I've always been a, a technology kind of buff. I've always liked software and, you know, you know, the, the, the fact that you could do so many things with uh, different pieces of code and software. Right. And um, so I was kind of enamored with, 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 you know, technology as a whole. And then when I, um, I, I come from an uh, immigrant activist background. So I, most of my work in Southern California has, revolved around uh, the immigrant community, mostly in a, in a space, in a little niche of a space, which is still a, a $25 billion industry here in, in California, which is workers' compensation. So I, I worked in the workers' compensation field a lot with uh, the undocumented workers, sort of helping them return to work after their injuries, mostly as a what they call a vocational counselor, helping people decide what areas to go into, you know, what, what what's what fields are trending. So obviously you have data, right? So I've always been like a data guy. You're like, okay, well, why does one, why does one job pay more than the other if you have some, some similar skill sets, right? Like, like there's a lot of jobs that a lot of um, young people don't realize nowadays that, you know, you can go into these really kind of like jobs that require only six months to a year's training and you can make really good money, right? Like the electricians want to. Electricians, so anyways, I was I was sort of always involved with data, and um, and and so as I worked in the field that, that I worked in, uh, one of the things that I encountered a lot was uh, the fact that a lot of my clients would send remittances back to either Mexico or Central America, and 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 sometimes they'd even leave, and then they would you know they would have some resources that need to be sent, and so I would use a lot of times the the services of my of. Uh, wire transfers of uh, money transfers, you know, like um, Western Union and, uh, and other other services, uh, RIA. And I remember like being struck by the fact that you, know, you could send a hundred bucks and it would charge you like 10, 20 bucks. And it was like, it was like an astronomical fee from, you know, like, wait, I'm sending a hundred bucks and it's kind of cost me 10% to send it. Like, and all, you know, all you're doing is this and, you know, just, you know, transferring it to, you know, from one place to another as a wire transfer. And, and, and so then that led me down to, to um, it, it actually resolved around a particular client that I had, a client that received a large settlement from, uh, from a, a case was with an excess of $100,000. And he tells me, uh, Tony, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be leaving back to, to Mexico and I can't carry this amount of money with me. Um, is there a way that I can, that I can take it? You know, what, 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 do, you, what, what do you think I could do? And I don't want to leave the bank account open because if I leave the bank account open and I, and then I lose my debit card or something like that, I won't have access to it. Plus, the debit card will eventually expire, and then I'll be I won't have a, a way of gaining access to to my funds. So this is always obviously before the the advent of online banking and everything else, right? Um, uh, and so then that, this particular client, um, I said, let, let, let me do some research. So then I, I was doing some research, and I had already heard of Bitcoin, and uh, one of the premises of Bitcoin was that you could use it for remittances, borderless, you know, permissionless uh, transfer of, of funds. Uh, and, and that certainly works for, for, for Bitcoin and works for Ethereum. The issue is, is that you can't really convert it to the local currency, right? That's the, the problem. It's like, I, I mean, I, I know that, um, you know, uh, right now we have the uh, uh, El Salvador who, who famously the president is buying uh, Bitcoin and he's also made a legal tender uh, declared a legal tender in, in El Salvador, but the issue is still that at the local level, people still deal in dollars. And, and for most people don't realize, uh, for El Salvador, El Salvador has actually been on the dollar for, for quite some decades, 
um, you know, they, 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 they don't use pesos or, or any other, you know, currency. They, they, their legal tender is actually dollars. Uh, but if you look at it from a local level, uh, even though cryptocurrency has made legal tender in El Salvador, it's still not, not, not readily available, you know, to the local community in terms of conversion to the local currency. And that was one of the problems that I had with, when, um, with, with this particular client that I was dealing with. But that sort of led me down the rabbit hole of, of crypto. And so when I discovered um, Bitcoin and then later on discovered Ethereum, um, I was kind of like, you know, I kind of knew about Ethereum in 2015, 2016, didn't really buy it, didn't really sort of like kind of didn't understand it, you know. And, and then around, 20, uh, around the beginning of 2017, when the ICOs came about, um, I really started digging into it further. I ended up buying Bitcoin. Uh, bought some Ethereum, and then you know I had I was holding Ethereum, and you know it started going up, and you know I, once again you started at Ethereum at ten dollars in twenty seventeen, and then it started going up, and then I then then ICOs started coming about right, so they had all these ICOs, and actually when we're talking about DAOs, Humpty, one of the interesting things about DAOs what set me about sort of like down the rabbit hole of Ethereum was DAOs, and the very first ICO that I participated. Was actually a DAO token that uh, was Aragon, and uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Aragon. Aragon was um, was was a token that was you know um, that was that was premised on a on a token that allowed for uh, building and of decentralized autonomous organizations and, and a kind of open source infrastructure. And so and so basically, Aragon was a DAO or, or essentially a token. That was going to power DAOs, and I remember, um, you know, just uh, falling, just kind of like just reading about it and sort of like thinking, "Oh, this is going to be cool." So then I sent. That was the very first ICO that I participated. I actually participated in that DAO token, Aragon DAO token, via a Mist wallet, um, which is now a deprecated wallet, no longer available, but it was made available back then by the Ethereum Foundation. And, uh, and because I started reading about the Ethereum Foundation, that sort of led me to Aragon, and then it also led me to ENS, uh, and, uh, and, and ENS, uh, which is the Ethereum name service, uh, was also a project funded out of uh, the Ethereum Foundation. So that kind of led me around the whole idea of DAOs and uh, what identity would be within the blockchain. So it kind of said, oh, if you are part of a DAO, then you have this sort of wallet that you can connect to the DAO and do some on-chain voting and get all those kind of discussion. But then I was really enamored by ENS because I thought, oh, this is really cool because now, so for those who aren't familiar with ENS, ENS provides you, the Ethereum name service provides you for a human readable name, a human, you know, so you could have Humpty.eth, right? So Humpty.eth can resolve to a specific address or like, you know, anybody that has a, uh, a, a, a ETH address like mine is Tony uh, uh, Tony Herrera .eth. Uh, you can just send uh, tokens and, and crypto to uh, to my Tony Herrera .eth address without you having to remember a hexadecimal string of address. And so that was sort of like what led me down the rabbit hole of uh, DAOs and ENS. And I was so enamored with ENS when I first learned about it that I was actually gifting people. ENS names, whenever I run into an artist, I would say, hey, you know, or anybody who was interested in space, I'd say, do you have an ENS domain? And they go, no. I'm like, okay, I'm going to gift you one. What, choose, choose a name. And I would just gift them. I would buy it and then just send it to their wallet. Like, you know, 
set him up with a MetaMask wallet and say, all right, here's how you control it. And, you know, I was, for me, it was sort of like the, the way of building community. I mean, if, if, uh, if DAOs are about community, then I figured, okay, I can help build DAOs by investing in a platform like Aragon that is part of an ecosystem to help establish DAOs. And then with ENS, um, you can, you can, um, you can have these human readable addresses that you can engage in, in discussions and voting and everything else. And I think it was funny because I remember having a conversation with some of the Aragon team and, and one of the things that they did, they were actually early on, they actually made it to where there's smart contract when you participate in the ICO, it was actually Aragon.eth. You could actually participate in the sending of your ETH to the smart contract so you, so you wouldn't get fished and you wouldn't send it to the wrong address. You wouldn't get scammed. They actually registered Aragon.eth and made that the contract address. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, what I'm hearing right now is uh, your role in onboarding people. And, you know, I do, I would say that one of my first interactions with you, I think, was through a Twitter space uh, where you were talking about ENS. I, I definitely consider you one of the uh, probably more active ENS ambassadors, though you were not part of that team, I don't think. You were always talking about ENS, and you were using that as an onboarding tool. I remember this, and I was like, "Wow, that's an interesting way of making this like uh, easy to understand for people." Because I, I do agree. I think ENS is a wonderful tool for making this very complex space a little bit more accessible. Instead of looking at this really long string of like numbers and letters and saying, "Hi, that's your identity," you actually can say, "It's like, well, what's your name?" Um, you know, what, what is something that is, uh, you know, maybe what is your brand? And then registering that as a domain on ENS and then using that to identify yourself, you know, on the blockchain. I remember that. And I, you know, I think that that's such a powerful thing, um, you know, to do is to find something that you find that, that, that's interesting, you know, that's novel, right? It's using the technology, but it's like super user-friendly, it it doesn't it doesn't really require like a, a a high level of understanding. Sure, you can dive deep into the weeds of ENS and start looking at like um, you know the reverse registration and all that stuff that you know makes uh, the the ENS domains work. Um, but really, just saying, look, here's an identity for you. Uh, let's register this to your wallet, and then from there you can start participating in the ecosystem in ways that appear more familiar to you. So maybe we can pull on that thread a little bit more because, you know, you were also talking about some of your work, uh, you know, outside of the crypto space as someone who uh, helps, uh, you know, people that may be underrepresented uh, as an activist as well. You know, so what are some of the tools outside of ENS that you have found that have been really helpful to onboarding people, firstly, and secondly, that are super user-friendly, accessible, and empowering to maybe people that otherwise would be underrepresented? I think the primary tool that I use is, believe it or not, MetaMask. Uh, I use two, two, two main tools that I like to use when I onboard somebody, and that's MetaMask and Etherscan. And 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 the and the way I use it is is very just like simple. It's like 
if if I meet somebody that doesn't know anything about Ethereum or blockchain and is is in, you know wants to learn, I'll say, all right, grab your phone. You know, it's it's easy, right? Because they both, you know, uh, MetaMask is available for both Android and iOS, and you know, it's it's Apple. It's it's really easy. And I'll say, okay, download this download this wallet, and then. And then what I do is I, after I have them download the wallet and, and save the seed phrase, you know, on a piece of paper and, you know, it, 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 I'll say, look, it's going to take you five minutes. You know, don't, don't worry. It's five, 10 minutes of your time. And, and then what we do is, is what I usually do is I, I, I walk them through like the, you know, the wallet and, and, and then I'll, I'll say, okay, uh, text me, send me your ETH address and they'll send me ETH address. And then I, I turn around and I'll give them tw- 10, $20 worth of ETH. Right. And I go, okay, look, check this out. And then, I usually point them to the text hash, right? The text, the transaction hash, right? Um, I say, check this out, go, go. And then what the text and hash, what the transaction hash gives you is it gives you these transaction details, right? So it's, so oftentimes it's like, it's like, it's almost like in an analog world, it would be like finding uh, the word Arvark in, in an encyclopedia and just walking that person through the definition, right? And that's what I use. I, 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 I just use MetaMask help somebody download a MetaMask. And then I say, all right, let me, let's go see your transaction. And I'll go to the transaction and I'll explain, okay, look, this, here's the details of your transaction. There's the status, you know, for, for, for all blockchain transactions, <clears throat> they can only have one of two outcomes, right? They can either fail or they succeed. Most, most of them will succeed. And so then basically you have the, uh, the, 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 the status, you know, the, the block number, and then you have the timestamp and then you have the transaction, uh, details and then you have who who that transaction came from, who it went to, how much ETH was used in the transaction in terms for gas, what was the value of the transaction. So all that is like really like this sort of like rabbit hole of information, right? And generally that's enough. If the person is really interested in like just the whole ecosystem, that's like a, that's like your red that's like your pill, right? Like that's like your the moment that people like sort of fall. And I almost everybody once they learn how to use EtherScan, it's pretty like kind of like it, it's 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 totally a rabbit hole because then you say, oh, you know that see this long string of hexadecimal address that could be an ENS domain, and that could resolve that, you know, like like whatever you want to you want it to be, you know, uh, uh, you know. You know, big guppy daddy dot eth. You could have that point to 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 that address, right? All you need to do is is is, is register a domain, and so usually for me, that's like the easiest onboarding. And I remember doing that with artists early on, and the, and the argument I would use for artists is I'd say, "Hey, Humpty, you're an artist. If you want to have provenance and authenticity to your art, start off by claiming your identity on the blockchain. So then, when you create your NFTs, you sign those NFTs." with your identity. So now I know that the art, the sales pitch that I would often do, you know, the pitch that I would make to artists oftentimes was like, hey, Humpty, you know, you're, you're an artist. Go ahead and just start signing all your art, uh, all your piece of work um, via Humpty.eth, right? And then now whenever there's any question as to whether the art is yours, it's provable on the blockchain. There's a provenance and authenticity that is on the blockchain. And I think that despite all this, Humpty, we're still pretty early in this whole scheme of DAOs and identity and, and, and uh, everything that has to do with, um, with what it will come about with the, Ethereum, with the Ethereum blockchain. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think 
you I, I I was expecting maybe like some easier tool, but you went straight to like eleven. You're like MetaMask and EtherScan. I think for most people, those are really scary. I mean, even for someone like myself who's been interacting with these tools for some time, there's still a lot that I don't know about them. And there's a lot that I would like to learn about them. So it's really interesting to hear that for you, that is the way you choose to introduce them. And I guess it's actually really interesting to hear that those are the tools you choose to use as an onboarding mechanism. Because at the end of the day, I think if someone gets started really understanding that type of interaction with the blockchain, they're much further ahead than most people. But in addition to that, I think a lot of the scams tend to revolve around MetaMask and maybe even EtherScan. Uh, So if you let people know how to use them and have good practices, you're probably also setting them up to be able to learn what not to interact with, right? So I guess my next uh, question here would be in regards to Paisano DAO. So as an individual, I know this, right? And I think our community is getting to uh, learn this about you, is that you are an ambassador for this technology. As someone who is was an early adopter, as someone who is fascinated by technology, you have adopted this technology. This is your life. Um, but now... By Sanodal, tell us what is your kind of place in it, uh, your role in it. What is it that makes By Sanodal important, and really, how can people join and actually help move the mission of By Sanodal forward? So By Sanodal, By Sanodal was was really we we spoke a little bit earlier about DAOs and how they can become. Like most DAOs are kind of DAOs in name only because they're kind of very centralized organizations and they're, they're not really that decentralized. And when I when I thought about Paisano DAO, I actually started Paisano DAO and started with a, with a small group of, of other you know individuals that were early um, you know people that had re- out, re- reached out um, and said, hey, you know, we're going to create this DAO, and 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 sort of got a little bit of attention and then. You know, a few people joined the Discord. We set up a Discord and a few people joined. And then I kind of just left it and I thought, okay, I'm going to let the DAO organically grow. It's like this DAO can't really, if it's, if, if it's truly a decentralized DAO, it should grow organically, right? It's, you should have enough attention from people in the community that the, the message and the mission resonates with them and then they'll, they'll, they'll join. Sort of like a build it and they'll come kind of, you know, aspect. And so I started the DAO, and then um, you know, every now and then somebody would say, "Hey, well, what are we doing next?" And I'd be like, "Oh, well, what do you guys want to do?" <laughs> it's like it's like you're, this is a DAO, you know, you guys can do anything you want to. Um, and and it took a little while, and then it started getting traction. And every now and then I'd have a conversation, and some of the early conversations that I had were, were with individuals such as Rooks, um, which which who you're familiar with. Um, I think uh, she goes, she goes by Rooks, but um, she, her. Uh, her uh, Twitter handle is uh, Iconoclast. Uh, I believe it's. Uh, um, what is? Let me let me let me let me bring it up just so I, just so I'm, I don't butcher her. Yeah, so Iconoclasticun is her uh, is her is her Twitter handle, and she she sort of like asked me, "What is this doubt?" Right, and so we had the conversation, and and it was always like I would have these conversations 
kind of offline with, with, with a number of individuals who were asking about the DAO. And so the mission of the DAO has always been the same. The, the mission is, is basically to, to provide education and uh, onboarding of a, of a more diverse Web3 ecosystem, right? Uh, bringing specifically more Spanish speakers uh, into, the, into the Web3 ecosystem, um, be it more women, more people of color, more, 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 uh, more minorities into, into the space. And that's always been the, um, the, the mission of, of Pesano DAO. So we label it as a social impact DAO. It's, it's a DAO dedicated to, to inclusivity and diversity of the, of the Web3 ecosystem. And it remains that. And so for a while now, um, I've been a little bit more uh, off hands in terms of the daily decisions. Uh, the, there's a Discord that you can join. Uh, there's a, there, obviously a Twitter that you can follow. And there's a couple of things that have happened with my absence, which I, which is really great because it, it sort of shows that the DAO is organically growing. And that's that um, Rox, uh, Antonio, Mariano, um, Flipper, Gato, these are all individuals that are heavily, heavily invested in the DAO that have been doing a ton of work behind the scenes um, and growing the community. And, and now they have, uh, the, you know, we started off, uh, you, I think you participated, I'm doing a few of them. We started off with, uh, and if it is in Espanol and, um, and, uh, Omar Robles would help us. And, uh, we, we kind of would do them and then Paisano Dao picked up the mantle and now they do NFT in Espanol and they also do Frecuencia, Fre Frecuencia este Paisana, uh, which is, uh, which is kind of like akin to a radio show where they have on different personalities and they bought on, um, they, they recently did an interview with, um, uh, Ed Zipko from Super Chief Gallery. They, they've done an uh, interview with Kaigani from Ebit's Dow. They've done different interviews and, and, and do, they do a lot of work behind the scenes doing workshops to, uh, for Solidity devs, for artists that want to create their own smart contract, for uh, anybody from the community that wants to come in. Um, and, and, you know, and, it's, and, and they're really helpful in different projects. So Paisano Dow, um, you know, I, I like to to give credit to to Rox and, and, and Antonio and, and a lot of other people who have really sort of poured their heart into the DAO and are really doing the mission of the social impact. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really grateful to them. But yeah, for me, I wanted to create a DAO, but I also wanted to create a DAO that would sort of uh, kind of outgrow me. I didn't want to create a DAO that everything was tied to, oh, it's it's Tony Herrera's DAO. You know, it's like, I wanted, I wanted Paisano DAO to sort of be bigger than Tony Herrera, if that makes any sense. No, that makes 100% sense. And I really like something that you said, uh, you know, uh, early here or at the beginning of this was, you know, you want to create a DAO whose message and mission resonates with the community. I mean, I think that's a, such a powerful statement. And I think maybe one that we easily forget or don't pay enough attention to when we're starting a DAO, because maybe this is something that is more aligned to who we are as individuals. Maybe the initial, uh, you know, founders of a DAO, we may uh, have certain ideas of how uh, we'd like this uh, ecosystem to grow. But at the end of the day, I think one of the most important things in a DAO is obviously its mission. And you want to make sure that this is a mission that is, broadly speaking, to a number of people who are going to be able to come together and build 
together, right? And in terms of messaging, I think obviously a lot of this is derived from the mission of the DAO. But the, this language, this vocabulary that is part of the DAO needs to be consistent with that mission. And it needs, and the reason for that consistency is you can alienate potentially people if you're not. Right, because you may seem to be, uh, you know, waffling on what it is that you seek to do in the space. So I, I really like that statement, and I really like you know what you've talked about here with Baisano Dao and the people that are driving it forward. Um, obviously, yeah, I'm familiar with Rocks as well because early, uh, even before Baisano Dao existed, I was jumping onto these Twitter spaces with you and with Rocks, and you know, uh, you know, just. Uh, hopefully uh, being able to add some value with some of my own personal experiences too. What really to me was probably what differentiated a lot of these conversations and the reason why I was consistently showing up was that these conversations were happening in Spanish, right? And I thought, wow, first of all, how often do I get to speak Spanish in this space? Rarely. Because a lot of the groups of people that I interact with are English-speaking. And I get it. English seems to be the common language that holds the Web3 space together because it is an international space. And for the most part, uh, you know, English tends to be spoken by a lot of these communities. But that also could be exclusionary. It could be excluding people. And so creating these spaces that allow for them to comfortably join and talk in their native tongues. I think that's so powerful. So I just want to say, you know, firstly, as someone who was participating in those calls, thank you for like helping to organize those, but also thank you to the people that are carrying forth that mission as well. No, thank you, Humpty, for that. Yeah, and, and you know, I think one of the things you mentioned, you know, that was one of the fun Facts about like you know when we started off like you know there was like a lot of Twitter like Twitter Spaces first we started with Clubhouse right and then we did then we did Twitter Spaces and as Twitter Spaces started to become more commonplace you know you you you, you know you have a ton of Twitter Spaces and, and they're primarily in English and most of the web the spoken language is obviously English right that's like the worldwide language but we forget that you know there are 500 million speakers that speak Spanish worldwide. That's a half a million people that speak Spanish, right? It's like uh, we're barely scratching the surface when when we talk about Spanish speakers uh, around the globe. And so, so for me, I think the the other thing for for Paisano Dao that was really really kind of personal to me is like you know it's like I wanted to have a space that artists could come in uh, and anybody new to crypto could come in, and it was kind of like a welcoming space, right? It, it, like it wasn't it, it can be intimidating. To go into some of these uh, Twitter spaces with, uh, you know, and, 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 and if, you, if, if you're like a, a Latino and don't necessarily have a good command of the language, uh, it can be t- intimidating. So I thought, you know what, let's create, let's create these, these comfortable spaces where uh, Latinos can come in and, um, and, and get education. And, and a lot of it is, is, that, is that it takes a lot of work. I mean, hey, I don't have to tell you, you know how hard it is to, <laughs> to create these, these, uh, these spaces and, and record these uh, these conversations uh, and create these this particular content. It, it's it's a lot of work. It's 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 more work than people realize. And so when uh, when Pesado Dao started organically having the spaces and and having you know um, all these different voices 
uh, come in both into the Discord and, and it was it's, it, for me it, it's it's very um, for me it's very rewarding to to see that I, I, it was pleasantly you know for me I get to enjoy oftentimes I get to enjoy when I, I go in and sometimes I'll lurk in the Discord or I'll, or I'll look at the Twitter uh, stuff going on with Paisano Dao and 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 it's just like it warms my heart because I'm like okay this is cool this is this is this is growing without Tony having to come in. And now, you know, it's, it's obviously gotten the attention of you, um, which is great. And, and it's gotten the attention of other people. And I think that it's just the, the, the start, right? Uh, Paisano Dao has a lot of really cool things planned in, in the next few months. And it'll, it'll, it'll become even more mainstream. And it'll have its own, you know, with that growth, it'll have its own challenges and, and, and issues, right? It's like, at the end of the day, it also needs to come and bring in resources. And, and the, the reality is that, it, it, you know uh, the the um, the talent pool within Paisano Dao is actually really really uh, tremendous. Um, it, it's got a lot of solidity devs. It's got a lot of it's got a lot of really great creatives in Latin America. Uh, individuals who are front end devs, back end devs, a lot of uh, graphic artists, a lot of uh, designers um, that they're that are in there that are that are you know um, just in, you know just itching to 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 contribute to the Web three ecosystem. And a lot of it is also about what we can incubate via Paisano Dao, right? It's, it's not only about having the conversations, but it's also about what, what can we do to empower di different creators in the, in the community to break into the Web3 ecosystem and, and really apply their, their, their trade. And I think that's one of the things that's interesting to me about the Web3 ecosystem is that for the first time, you have people who can get paid in ETH, right? Uh, people can, you can establish and say, okay, I can do the design for you. And it's half an ETH. It's like, okay, cool. You can pay somebody half an ETH. And we don't realize that half an ETH in the United States is right now, what, $800? You think, okay, well, that's not a lot. But in a developing country, like, say, Cuba or Argentina, Venezuela, that's a, a sizable amount of money. So now you have designers that for the first time can get paid an, a, a, a equitable fee for their work because it's denominated in ETH. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, that's, that's incredible, man. I mean, obviously, I am excited to continue to see the development of Paisano Dao. I think it's super important. Uh, everything you've said, I think it's super important that we build the rails for diverse communities to feel welcomed to be able to safely enter the space because absolutely there's a ton of, you know, potential risks. You know, there's people who are going to want to be taking advantage of like new joiners into this ecosystem. And I think it's our role, you know, as veterans in this space, right? As much as we can be veterans in this space to be able to support anyone who's coming in, uh, answering questions, uh, you know, sharing uh, best practices, uh, introducing them to like-minded individuals, right? Like, uh, just like what Paisano Dao would be um, in terms of the people who make it up, right? Uh, in terms of it being an inclusive community. I think this is, this is super amazing. Uh, I am just, I'm here for it. And I'm excited to just play a small role as, as, as wherever I can in helping to support that mission because it, it is 100% something that is near and dear to my heart as well. 
in terms of uh, building out a globally diverse uh, ecosystem. You know, because I we hear this thing all the time. We're onboarding the next billion people. We're onboarding the next billion people. I was like, hey, honestly, you realize that the the next billion people don't all look and sound maybe from like the status quo of today. Like they're going to be from different parts of the world. What are we doing as a you know ecosystem to encourage those people to come in, to speak to them in ways that make sense to them? Like you said, the financial aspect of things is night and day between what is accessible to us and what might be accessible somewhere else in the world in terms of, oh, it's going to cost you this much to buy our token to be a part of our DAO. Is that really the gate? Is that really the barrier we want to set up when someone chooses to join our uh, the, our organizations? So yeah, this is this has been wonderful. Um, so before we get to uh, before we close out, one thing that I've been asking uh, our guests more recently um, as a final question is, you know, if there was one person or thing that has been really influential for you in your crypto journey. It could be someone that speaks on Twitter. It could be a book that you read. It could be a, you know, a platform that you use often as a resource. What would that one thing be in your crypto journey that has really helped you uh, go from, you know, maybe a novice uh, crypto user to a, you know, a crypto native? Hmm. I don't know that there's one I don't know that there's one thing. There's so many people. I mean, there's there's a ton of people in the room now that I've met throughout my journey in crypto that have really kind of sort of made it, made it to where to me it's really kind of an area that I want to be. It's it's a space that I want to be. I find I find the Ethereum space particularly full of dreamers and 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 visionaries and people that want to change the world. You know, there's there's like a I see in the audience. I see you know Sirsu and Mitsu and, and Cynthia Ponce and and and, and uh, Gaston, all these individuals are like individuals that I've met through my journey that that are that have been really really, you know, people that I've met and sort of they're, they're people that I want to sort of be on the journey with crypto. But I think that for me, you know, in NFT space and DAOs, but I think for me, one of the people that I I think I want to credit with sort of like the whole dream of of. Uh, of of what crypto can be, and so so I, I'm really, I'm really I have this aspirational thing about about DAOs, right? What I love DAOs not for what they are now, but for what they can be, and that's and that's that's to me is like what what really sort of keeps me in the DAO sort of ecosystem, and and I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, there's been a lot of builders and a lot of people that I really sort of like credit, but but I think. More and more, the more I think about it, and the more I, I interact with Ethereum, the one person that I want to, to sort of say thanks and, and sort of like admire is actually Vitalik Buterin. And I'll tell you the reason why, why I admire Vitalik Buterin. Here's an individual who could long ago have just sold whatever stakes he had in, uh, in Ethereum and walked away, but he doesn't. He's like, here's a guy that will go on a stage and wear a unicorn outfit to sort of as a meme aspect of the, of the space that is fun and, and a dreamer type of space, right? It's like, and here's an individual that if you read his blog has all these things about how he wants to use Ethereum to make us a better society, to, to foster a better society. 
And that's what DAOs do, right? The, the, the premise of DAOs is that we could essentially create better societies for ourselves. And so for me, I think if you ask me the question of like, who in this space, you know, do I want to think of, you know, credit, it would be, it would be Vitalik. It would be Vitalik because every time I look, I turn around, Vitalik is trying to do something, right? Whether he's, he's trying to do something good and here's an individual that didn't cash out and basically continues to dream about how to make, uh, how to use blockchain to, to better our society. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tony. If you'd like to connect with Tony, you can find him on Twitter at Tony Herrera. And to learn more about Paisano Dao, go to paisanodao.xyz and on Twitter at PaisanoDAO. As a final note, I wanted to share that this episode is the final recording from our live events hosted on Twitter Spaces. Future episodes will include video and released on YouTube and other social channels. I hope you will continue to listen and enjoy these thoughtful discussions. 